You're a founder or an entrepreneur. You want to take your company value to 300 million, we gon' show you how to do it. We got the roadmap, the aspirations We'll give you a game plan and strategies It's controlling your company's destiny today By tuning in to Private Capital Mastery Yeah Let's start the show Welcome to the Private Capital Mastery Podcast Where we are unraveling the intricate world of Private Capital Mastery Today's discussion delves into the essence of net working capital, exploring its significance, calculation methods, and its impact on a business. Joining me, my guest is Joe Balden. He's a CPA and founding principal of Balden, Hiramoto, and Lou. Joe and I have had the opportunity to work with each other on a number of transactions in, in, in the AEC industry, and his knowledge and experience has been invaluable to the process, to clients, and to the transactions that we've consummated. So, Joe, thank you again for being here with me and spending the time on on the podcast. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, to participate in this podcast with you, Brian. And uh, and yes, you and I have had uh, uh, some very good experiences working on the sales side of the table uh, and uh, in a variety of client situations that have all turned out uh, quite well, which is uh, good to. Re- uh, to know. Yeah. Yeah. And and the transactions we've worked on together in the case studies that we could talk about are, you know, they are uh, our clients, as you described, were always on the sell side of the table. Uh, We sold those clients, uh, some of them to public entities and companies and others to, you know, uh, existing strategies, sometimes privately owned or sometimes owned by private equity groups that are growing and scaling their platforms. But all are very mindful of networking capital. And that's the topic we're going to be talking about today. So Joe, let me ask you, can you share an example of of an experience with a client that highlights the critical role of networking capital calculations in M&A transactions, like the ones that we've, that we've worked on together. So, Uh, yeah, there's a particular transaction that comes to mind because the, the seller, uh, even though the in-house financial statements prepared by seller were reasonably good quality, the uh, their, their accounting procedures with respect to accounts receivables and work in process, uh, they just weren't quite ready for dealing with a buyer. Uh, <clears throat> the, their accounts receivable turnover was, was, was very high. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the billing of receivables was not systematic and predictable. Uh, the focus on work and process and converting that to accounts receivables was not regular and also systematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did it just kind of the way they just normally did it, which was a, within their own comfort zone. Uh, and, and, and as a result, uh, there was uh, too much uh, old outstanding work and process. There were old outstanding accounts receivables. So you look at the quality of that. And, and, and while it ultimately did produce a, a good revenue stream and a related EBITDA, uh, it became a little bit of a problem for the buyers simply because they, they needed more of that work in process, more of that AR, uh, because the, the quality just wasn't quite there. Mm. And, 
and, and so buyer was requiring in the in the buy sell transaction a, a higher net working capital amount transfer. Yeah. Uh, but let's just let's just stop for a moment and talk about why uh, networking capital it always comes up in a buy sell transaction. When when buyer buys a business, they're getting everything. They, if they buy the stock, they they get everything. And and if they're not buying stock, then they're buying assets, and basically they still get everything. Okay. So in, in an asset acquisition, clearly buyer is getting. AR and work in process, net of payables, they're getting net working capital. Yes. And, and why is that getting that working capital important to buyer? Well, buyer does not want to go out of pocket post-closing to fund the operation that they just bought. Correct. They've agreed to a purchase price, and they don't want to have to kick in more dollars post-closing because the cash flow from the business they just bought is not covering costs and expenses. That's right. So yeah, and as the, you described, you know, stock and asset sales both are inclusive of the going concern of the business, and and networking capital is part of that equation. To your point, exactly. So buyer is wanting that networking capital amount to be quality, and and so what they what they will often do is they will just say receivables in excess of 90 days, we're not going to consider at all. Seller, you, you can keep those and collect those. Good luck. Uh, with respect to work in process, it's not as good as a receivable because it hasn't been billed yet. Okay. And, and generally speaking, uh, there's always some percentage of work in process that just never gets billed for one reason or another. So buyer knows that. Seller knows that. Mm -hmm. and, and so buyer is looking at it critically. And, and for buyer, uh, they would just simply rather get good AR that's 90 days or less mm -hmm. and, and not bother with work in process, but they do get work in process also. Work yeah. in process is obviously connected to the backlog. It's, it's a value that hasn't yet been billed. They get the backlog. So the calculation of work in process as of the closing date and ultimately, the calculation of the amount that the buyer gets is uh, is just something that you and I have had a lot of experience with, Brian, simply because buyer and seller never agree on what that amount is supposed to be. Uh, how does buyer go about determining in their mind what that networking capital is? Well, they generally do it just by looking at the, the trailing 12 months worth of balance sheets. And they go... Well, this is what your working capital has been 12 months in a row, if not, you know, looking back two or three years. And uh, and seller was is saying, well, you know, what you're 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 thinking it's it's 1.2 million, and I disagree. I, I think it's 900 thousand because I can show you another calculation that's collected that's related to my accounts receivable turnover, and connected to the costs and expenses I pay. Mm -hmm. And I can show you that it should be nine hundred thousand. Yeah. And then buyer is saying, "Well, you know, you're you're carrying uh, too much whip, and you're not converting that to AR as quickly as perhaps you should." Right. Uh, so prior to the transaction, before seller ever goes down that that road with you, Brian, mm -hmm. they're they're not thinking about about how rapidly or how much better they can manage the collection of AR and WIP. They, they just generally are not thinking along that line. Yeah. 
for them, they just know that eventually that whip will get billed and eventually the AR will get collected. But they're they're probably hurting themselves a little bit for not looking at those things on their own balance sheet as critically as a buyer would look at it. So if a buyer were in the room with them, looking over their shoulder and talking to them and whispering in their ear, buyer would be saying to seller, you you need to be building that whip more rapidly. You yeah, need to be right. following up on your AR and collecting it. You that's need right. to be turning whip and AR into cash yes. Yes. more readily than what you're doing. And, and those are the challenges you know, with, with networking capital. If, if there's bad data coming in, then there's bad data going out. And not understanding your or mismanaging your accounts receivable and accounts payable which are both impacted by by work in progress or WIP, um, and typically for service companies, right? And then manufacturing companies also have some level of, you know, managing and, and, and measuring, you know, what has not yet hit invoices, but there are costs related to the work they're doing at this moment in time, right? So, but understanding in, a, in an M&A transaction, networking capital is crucial and the perceptions from either the buy side or the sell side can be different, you know, based upon how they're looking at those numbers and those numbers that you described require a narrative. And if that narrative is not applied to those numbers in terms of movement in the business that may or may mostly not, you know, captured in the financial reports, then that creates the pain, right? And the pain is to, to your point is that buyer ends up inadvertently calculating a higher than actual networking capital where a sell side, you know, seller is going to calculate a lower number typically. And, and this is not just simply because of negotiation and, and, and the role that a buyer and seller play. This is simply because of perspective and the narrative that is ultimately tied to those, to those numbers. Right. Right. It, it would seem that uh, a, a seller getting ready to uh, start talking to buyer would, would step back and, and and look at their balance sheet, look at their networking capital as if a buyer would, was looking at it. And, and then, and then they would be looking at their own balance sheet, their own networking capital elements mm-hmm. in a more critical view, uh, which would be a, a very healthy thing for any buyer, any seller to do. Absolutely. Uh, take a buyer's attitude in, in terms of looking at your own balance sheet. And, yeah. and look for the weaknesses in it, and then and then develop a game plan to eliminate those weaknesses to enhance the strengths. Yes. Ultimately, yeah. ultimately, uh, networking capital is a function of profitability. There, there's no better way to be building networking capital than just simply being profitable. It's logical, right? It is. Uh, and 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 when you're when you're building profitability. It's going to be there in the balance sheet, and ultimately, it needs to get converted to cash. Mm-hmm. In the end, end of the day, it needs to get converted to cash, and that means that, okay, we we created the chargeable time; it's in work in process. Okay, we build it; it's now in AR. Okay, now let's go collect it. To me, this whole thing is part of the, the business cycle. The business cycle is, is related to building profitability and building networking capital. Mm-hmm. What is the business cycle? Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, go get a client. 
<laughs> I don't just go get a client, Brian. Yes. Okay, that's the starting point. Uh, number two, uh, get a contract with that client. Okay. Yeah. Uh, set the scope. Uh, determine the fee. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Now manage that project and manage it well. Manage it profitably. Be on time. Be on budget. And at the end of the day, bill it and collect it and keep the client and go do it again. That's right. Okay. That's the business cycle. That's right. And when you're doing those basic things well, then you are creating goodwill with clients. You're, you're building profitability. You're building the balance sheet value. You're building uh, cash ultimately. Mm -hmm. And cash is available for profit distributions. And ultimately, that's what a buyer looks at. So everything, everything is circular. Everything is related. EBITDA is connected to profitability. Uh, it's all connected to positive working capital. It's, it's, it's just a lockstep together. That's so right. what kinds of problems can a company have and interfere with its ability to manage its net working capital? Well, for one reason or another, a contract got set aside and another contract got set aside. Or there's a project that, that uh, went over budget and it's a significant project and it's impacting, it's impacting the company's financial condition, financial health. And if, if, if that is happening, uh, and, 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 and by the way, when, when you're an architect or an engineer, you're connected to real estate mm -hmm. and real estate cycles. The, there's no such thing as a, as an A&E firm that at some point is, is uh, 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 never off the, the roller coaster. Uh, A&E firms are just not like a widget manufacturer where every year revenues go up one or two points and profitability goes up one or two points. It's predictable. It's regular. It's, it's guaranteed. Mm -hmm. That's not the A&E industry. Okay. Right. Right. So an A&E firm, you know, has to be uh, capable of, of managing profitability in, in the best of times and, and in the challenging times as well. Absolutely. And so when, when it does that, then, then there is a, a better likelihood of, of profit distributions, uh, higher value. So when, it, when a firm has a challenge in managing its working capital, what might cause that? Well, Brian, you and I know that one particular firm that we, we worked with, mm -hmm. uh, they, had, they had one client, our client, Brian, was an engineering firm, and yes. the engineering firm's client was an architectural firm. Yes. And the architectural firm dictated to the engineering firm when it could be built. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Now think about that. Normally, an A and E firm is going to do progress billings at the end of each month mm -hmm. for the value earned under the contract for that month. That's right. Except in this particular case, the engineering firm dictated to the engineering firm when it could get built. Yes. So uh, that created some real challenges uh, for the engineering firm. Uh, they were carrying an amount and work in process substantially greater than they normally would. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, and that always, and that created some serious question marks when a buyer came along mm -hmm. and was looking at this unusual billing uh, relationship the engineering firm had with its client. It was odd. It was, uh, it was peculiar from a buyer's perspective. Yeah. Uh, but but ultimately, uh, you know, buyer buyer came to understand that, but it just made life a little bit more challenging. Mm -hmm. simply because the engineering firm was not normal 
mm. and and its management of work and process and its accounts receivables with uh, with its clients. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a great case study to bring up because as we think about networking capital in in this conversation, the context is related to an M and A transaction. You know, someone is acquiring, someone is selling. Perhaps there's a merger of the two, right? But networking capital as a function in a business can can ultimately be optimized and that optimization can provide financial health to the operating efficiency of that company can, can you can you give some examples on, on on companies that you know you've even worked with for, from an accounting standpoint as, as a CPA to help them create those you know financial efficiencies or or operational efficiencies that create this financial health that ultimately impacts networking capital. You, you have some case studies you could share as related to, to those types of uh, businesses and clients that you've worked with? Uh, Brian, I shared earlier that the best way to build working capital is, is to be profitable. Yes. I mean, it seems such a, a silly thing to say because it's so obvious, but, but, it's, but it's also so true. Yeah. So how how, do, how does a business uh, become more profitable? What are they doing to to manage their 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 profitability? Yes. Uh, can profit be planned? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, of course it can. Yeah. So profit planning is prof is part of the picture. Yeah. So uh, any typical A and E firm can create a profit plan for themselves. Mm-hmm. That is uh, that can then get looked at and compared to industry standards and norms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 then you get feedback. Well, uh, there there are key metrics for an A and E firm to monitor, and and if they're monitoring the, these key metrics, things like uh, the net multiplier, or the chargeable ratio, the overhead factor, mm-hmm. or net service revenues per company employee. Yes. Uh, accounts receivable, aging turnover, those kinds of things, then it means to me that they they're interested in 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 increasing their profitability, Correct. making their business better. Yes. So if if you've got a business and and they're not and they're not looking at these things, uh, you kind of go, well, well, why not? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and uh, well, as you know, quite frankly, you know, the methodologies that you just described and the measurements you described are not typical of an operator, of a founder, of a CEO, right? They're they're making measurements in their business that that they deem, you know, important, right? And relevant. But when it comes to, you know, raising capital, when it comes to you know the sale uh, of a business or a massive liquidity event through through an exit strategy. Um, all of this becomes relevant, and in those meaning those measurements that you described, although not typical measurements taken by an operator, but definitely they impact in in a positive way the outcome of you know how much of those revenues were they turned into profit dollars, right? And and you gave um, you give examples of revenue per employee. Uh, you could measure utilization, right, um, based upon uh, the particular workforce of the business. You could you could measure all sorts of avenues, right? Even when it comes to how efficiently is is the operator taking the work that they've done and turning that 
work in progress into an invoice, right? Because that invoice then impacts the balance sheet because it's an out it's an accounts receivable, which is an asset to that company. But if they struggle to to measure how quickly that they're getting their work invoiced, right, can certainly impact the outcome and and can skew you know the profitability of the company up or down depending on what how they're behaving. But these are these are great ideas, great measurements, and great methodologies that you discuss. And I just wanted to highlight that because you and I both know that not every operator, CEO, founder, entrepreneur are making those measurements in their business. So this is great advice that you're offering. So when 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 a company um, does make these measurements, uh, it, it tells me that that they they are interested in improving. Uh, their P&L performance. And, and, and as you know, Brian, uh, the value of a firm is, is performance-driven. Uh, if you've got good balance sheet numbers, you've got good EBITDA numbers, yes. and, and it's a result of hard work uh, of the people within the company to, to maximize uh, those values, yeah. then it's going to lead to a greater value um, when it comes time to sell the company. There's no question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the predictability of, of earnings, uh, the sustainability, the quality of earnings, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in, enhances in a buyer's mind, uh, or rather it reduces in the buyer's mind the, the, the perception of risk with respect yeah. to the company that they're looking at. Absolutely. So predictability of revenues and, and profitability, and sustainability of it, quality, uh, it's going to lead to a higher uh, EBITDA multiple between buyer and seller. And, and a greater value to seller. Well, so yeah, when, when, I, seller, when seller is monitoring uh, these these indexes, these these key metrics. For example, take the take the the, the term net multiplier. Well, what does that mean? Net multiplier is gross revenues less outside consultants and reimbursables subtotal net revenue. Take the net revenue number and divide it by direct labor. That gets you the net multiplier. Mm-hmm. There are industry norms for that. Yes. Uh, well, what was the company's target net multiplier? Yeah. You, you do that through a, a different analysis. And, and, and what if the company target uh, was 3.25? And, and what if the financial statement PNL says the net multiplier is 3.00? Mm-hmm. Well, my target was 3.25. Yes. My net is three zero zero for the financials. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's not so bad. No, three zero zero is not bad. It, it's it's a little bit below the industry norm today, which is around three point one five, but it's kind of far away from their target of three point two five. Yes, I, I once knew this engineering firm, Brian, uh, out of Washington, mm-hmm. and their target multiplier was. 3.45 and their net multiplier was 3.45. Hmm. And I and I asked the uh, the founder I said well how is that possible? I mean because yeah. that's kind of perfection. Yeah. If your target net multiplier is 3.45 and your net is 3.45 I guess that means you never have any chargeable time that's not billable. And he goes well of, of course not. All, all chargeable time is billable. We do not have any write-offs. Mm. And I said, you have no write-offs. And he goes, no. 
we have no write-offs. Hmm. Well, you know, that's that's amazing. That's extraordinary. Yeah. The the average A and E firm does have a little bit of, of a write-off uh, typically, where the net multiplier is coming in slightly less than the target. But in any event, that's one of those those key metrics to monitor. Yeah. And when your net multiplier is not coming in the way it should, what, what does that mean? Uh, uh, it, it means that you've got projects that are going over budget. It means that you have uh, you have projects that perhaps were not budgeted correctly at the outset. Yes. There's only a, a thousand reasons, Brian, why <laughs> uh, the net multiplier is not coming in uh, uh, equal to the uh, to the target multiplier. That's right. uh, projects go uh, out of whack for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, wrong people on the project, wrong project manager. So it, it's part of... Uh, Managing projects, yes, it is. Uh, to me, yeah. is the is the most important part of an accounting system for an A and E firm to have. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Because when you look at, you know, the work that we're doing in the context of what we're talking about is is all for preparation for some sort of capital event. But the the, the natural progression of that and these conversations and this and this these measurements and research that we're talking about inside a company, they ultimately create efficiencies. And what I love about that is that it creates the it creates the accountability that leaders in an organization need to hold their team and their staff accountable to the targets and measurements based on the measurements that they're making. And the you know when when you go downstream and you look at how this translates to networking capital and how networking capital translates to a calculation for purposes of a, a sale or a merger, that the benefit is definitely there. Don't you agree? Absolutely. My, my partner, uh, Doug, is working with this one engineering firm now. You, you, you know this firm, Brian. And I used to work with the, uh, the founder of the firm, but mm -hmm. uh, he got he got tired of me harping on the fact that they they really had no project internal uh, system for managing projects in progress, mm -hmm. and and I kept harping on that. Correct. Uh, he didn't really want to be involved, and this is the founder of the firm. He really did not want to be involved in any way in in, in managing projects in progress. Mm -hmm. he, he just wanted to be able to delegate that and and dust his hands off and and, and not be involved in it. Yeah. And I, I don't know how that's possible in an A and E firm. Uh, I, I think the founders the founders set the uh, set the standards yes. for for being involved in uh, in projects, yes. uh, knowing that they're being uh, properly managed. Now, a, a project is going to go sideways uh, within an A and E firm. It, it happens with, uh, in the past. It'll happen again in the future. Yes. But for the most part, if an A and E firm has has good quality procedures where they're monitoring projects in progress. Mm -hmm. frequently especially big projects where a lot of dollars can go through that those projects in, in a relatively short period of time um, then a firm is going to be better off and, and they will be able to um, uh, enhance profitability yeah. looking at monthly financial statements and, and then patting yourself on the back or kicking yourself in the pants as the case may be that was a great month it's been a great quarter uh, our financial statements are beautiful. I, I love the balance sheet format. I really think the PL format is absolutely spectacular. 
Yeah. I, I say that kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, an A&E &E firm will get more bang for the buck by, by focusing on it, its ability to manage projects in progress. Mm -hmm. They will, if they can make improvements there, mm -hmm. it will pay dividends on the bottom line. It will pay dividends on the bottom line. Now, projects are connected to work in process. They're connected to receivables. They're connected to networking capital. Yes. So focusing for an A&E firm, focusing on managing your projects better, enhancing profitability, is going to lead to a, a, a more enhanced and stronger networking capital. 100%. Yeah. So stronger equity. Yeah, stronger equity on the balance sheet and and uh you know there again i mean the 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 measurements in, in or lack thereof you know will impact the networking capital and, and we could almost you know print t-shirts even tattoo it on our foreheads that if you can't measure it you cannot improve it and that's what that's what we're talking about here i mean the theme is networking capital but if you're mismanaging the business or the finances of the business, then it's going to reveal itself in the resulting number of that networking capital. And in per, in, in the context of a, a sale of a company or a merger of a company, you know, we always think, or I typically think of it as the higher the networking capital, it's indicative of the fact that the business is growing or as on a growth trajectory. If that networking capital that was estimated early on in, in a, the process or negotiations of a deal and, and the resulting number comes out lower, you know, typically I associate that with that there's some sort of seasonality or slowdown in that business that, you know, needs to be considered. And, and to the point you made earlier in the conversation is this is why we're looking at the trailing 12 month balance sheet, because in a, in a 12 month trailing period, you could typically find that seasonality, which is different and, and could and should be different for different companies and different industries. But um, it's a great point to make. But uh, Joe, as we as we conclude the conversation here, what key sites, what, what key insights or recommendations would you provide to businesses, to, to founders, to CEOs looking to enhance their understanding and utilization of networking capital? Well, let's just let's just start with um, with with the balance sheet. Let, let, let's just start with an, a good accrual basis financial statement, uh, consistently prepared, accurately, completely prepared. Uh, good good uh, classifications on the balance sheet, and then and then just just say identify the networking capital at that particular point in time. Just just go ahead and do it. And, and then and then look at the quality of uh, work in process. Look at the quality of accounts receivables. L look at your cash and bank. Are you doing everything you can to maximize the, the conversion of WIP and receivables to cash? Uh, in, in, one, in one architectural firm, uh, Brian, you, you know them. Okay. Uh, they have an AR turnover of 110 days. Yeah. 110 days. Yes. And uh, and I and, 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 and the monthly revenue amounts are, are significant. And and I I quantified that for them one day, the partners, and, and I said, if you if you just re 
snap your fingers and miraculously reduced your AR turnover from 110 to the normal standard of about 75. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would put X more million dollars of, of cash in your bank in, in one fell swoop. And, and wouldn't you like to have that available uh, for, for profit distributions? Wouldn't you? Uh, so when you when you look at your balance sheet and you look at AR and you look at WIP, ask yourself this question, how, how much cash is, is not in my bank account mm-hmm. because I'm not managing WIP and AR as good as perhaps I, I, I could be. So the, the challenge for, for most businesses is, is, to, is to create a profit plan, uh, follow it, do key metrics, uh, understand your strengths and weaknesses, uh, play to your strengths, try to fix your weaknesses, try to in, in, enhance uh, your, your, your key ratios, your chargeable ratio, reduce your overhead expenses, uh, have more of your direct, more of your labor going into direct labor, which produces revenues. So focus on those key metrics, enhance profitability, uh, and and ultimately uh, you 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 will improve uh, your EBITDA. Uh, you'll you'll improve the the sales value. Uh, yeah, the enterprise value, absolutely. Uh, maybe maybe uh, sellers need to be uh, be reminded, Brian, that. When you get into an LOI and ultimately you get into the definitive agreements, mm-hmm. uh, buyer is going to protect itself and, and there's going to be purchase price adjustments. Yes. Okay. That's right. Uh, if the deal, if the deal is that buyer is supposed to get $1.2 million of working capital transfer. Mm-hmm. And if seller post-closing just does not do a good job of converting WIP and AR to cash, and buyer is going to look at realization uh, as the metric there. That's right. uh, buyer is entitled to come back and, and reduce the purchase price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So whatever seller thought he was going to get, uh, it's going to get reduced because seller did not do a good job post-closing converting WIP and receivables uh, to cash. You're absolutely right. Uh, you could distill all of that down to, you know, the the efficiency of the transaction, um, the efficiency of the financials, which produces a more meaningful transaction from a liquidity standpoint. And and and, and ultimately, you know, the, 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 the fun surprise is, you know, there could be excess network, networking capital as well if, if they are running more efficiently than, than their peers in the industry or than what was estimated. I mean, Joe, these are, these are crucial takeaways and these are great action points that uh, a founder, CEO, or entrepreneur could take and inject into their company to improve the financial health and the effectiveness, ultimately the effect, effectiveness of the networking capital. Well, Joe, I really want to thank you for spending the time with us today to unpacking the details. And there's many details when it comes to networking capital and how being mindful of networking capital as a CEO or founder is managing the financial health of their company. But whether or not they are pursuing a capital event, we could all agree that managing your networking capital has positive impacts on the balance sheet and ultimately the financial health of the business. So Joe, thank you for your knowledge, your wisdom, your insight, sharing the case studies that you did. I'd love to have you back on in the future as we unpack more details. Cause as you know, the private capital mastery podcast is here 
to educate entrepreneurs and founders and also provoke thought in them as they as they build out their plan to build and then ultimately exit their companies. So if well, Brian, I've, I've, I've enjoyed uh, visiting with you here this afternoon, uh, talking about uh, uh, networking capital, uh, key metrics, EBITDA. And again, I, I love your license plate there, California EBITDA. <laughs> uh, it is the common denominator in the marketplace. It is. Uh, it and is. I look forward to, I look forward to uh, uh, follow-up opportunities with you to talk about more aspects uh, that, you know, I had experiences together in, in the M&A world. I love that, Joe, and I appreciate that because you are a wealth of knowledge. I've I thoroughly enjoyed working with you on every project that we have. And, you know, I really want to give the opportunity to those listening in. We want to give you access to this information. We want to provoke thought in you. And if you found anything in this episode that is triggering you to say, listen, I need to put these things in a place, feel free to reach out to us. We could put you in contact with Joe. We could put you in contact with those that are right sized and fitted to help you on the aspect of your business that needs help. You could reach out to us at info at meritage-partners.com. And until then, we hope you come back and see us again next Tuesday as we unpack more and more details, provoke more thought, and educate you as a founder, as a CEO, and an entrepreneur. Thank you for joining this episode of the Private Capital Mastery Podcast. I'm Brian Franco. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you soon.